Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for us at keyword World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are. The Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information-packed Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors, and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the airwaves, turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts right now. Hello, hello, party partners. Welcome to the Hour of Power. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And is that little Dulce with us as well? I felt like I... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we love our doggy Dulce. So we are here to help you jumpstart your life and have a fabulous day. We have such a great show for you today. If you remember or you ever heard of 1967 and the Summer of Love, well, maybe you'll remember 1969 and Woodstock. So we're going to have the the very funny, touching, and true story of Elliot Tiber, who is the man who enabled Woodstock to take place. He wrote the book, Taking Woodstock. And then he also wrote his new book is called Palm Trees on the Hudson, which was kind of a prequel to Elliot's bestseller of taking uh, Woodstock. And it has a lot to do with Judy Garland, a lot of other stars. So lots of fun coming up. And that's going to be in our third segment. Heather and I are going to start the hour off by talking about the health care insurance hell that is going on. And as we all know, our rates and things are going up. And what are we to do about it? And in segment two, it's exciting. Everything you ever wanted to know about the wonderful egg. It is said that it's the next best thing to mother's milk, yet eggs have got a very bad rap. So they have the highest amount of protein and 39 vitamins and minerals. And since I'm known as the egg lady or the chicken lady, I thought I would fill you in on everything that is happening with the egg. Well, the miracle moment for today is brought to you by the Carmony Collection, handmade handbags for the woman in your life. Visit CarmonyCollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. CarmonyCollection.com and get one today. And this is by Charlie Reed. Sow a thought, reap a word. Sow a word, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. And with character, you will reap your destiny. And how true that is, is that our character does define our destiny, doesn't it? So we really have to be, uh, to, to really watch what we say, what we do, and how we act. Well, Heather, before we start into the healthcare hell, Tell us about your modeling day today and sitting for this uh, this wonderful adventure of, of uh, hair, etc. Tell us a little bit about it. So, so it's definitely not the line of modeling per se. Um, if any of you out there in the cosmetology industry, just is very similar to other uh, tricks of the trades in colleges when it comes to that final examination, the thesis, your tricks of trades. 
there's a thing every year called the Cosmetology uh, Board. And in order to be certified, all those fantastic people out there that do our hairs, nail, face, you name it, that they fix it and make it beautiful, you have to pass uh, a state board. And I had the lovely honor today of serving as my friend's model for the state board. And if anyone has ever worked on it or um, been that lovely person to be the model, you know you're, you're slightly more of a Frankenstein for it because it's a timed uh, situation and they have to um, perform a certain amount of tasks, a certain amount of hairstyles, makeup, nails, and a lot of it is in, um, sim- uh, simulated. So instead of actually bleaching someone's hair or putting in relaxer, they're using cans of shaving cream that are uh, labeled as that just to simulate to show the process of it. So it was a great experience. I've been up since 5 a.m. doing this wonderful stuff. Um, my hair earlier was filled of every kind of gel, shaving cream, and fun, amazing thing you could think of. But you mean um, it's it was, not purple, green, and, and yellow? It didn't and fall off? Or, yeah. Um, it's just it was, feeling pretty yucky. Yeah, it was really wonderful, and it was um, it's something I think uh, many, many times I think people don't realize um, what a uh, how how what lengths people have to go to in order to get certified. And um, at this moment, and after they do the physical part of it, um, there's also a written part similar to everything in life of driving a vehicle um, towards that career. Uh, they had there was an examination afterwards, but. It was wonderful seeing um, my friend who did this as well as all the other many uh, talented soon-to-be cosmetologists that uh, were participating in today's today's exam. So I uh, wish everyone great luck. Um, they are releasing the information as we speak right now of who is now uh, certified and who is not. <laughs> right, right, right. And maybe one of you out there will be actually going to some salon somewhere, sometime, somewhere, and will be having your hair uh, or makeup or whatever done by one of these young professionals. Well, on to our topic of the day, the health insurance hell. What we were all promised that there by our President Obama that there was going to be health care for everyone. But of course, the problem is, is who is going to foot that bill? So last year, Blue Cross Anthem got in trouble because they wanted to raise the rates almost, you know, almost 50 percent, 40 point something percent. And then um, they ended up doing it, I think it was 23 to 28%, something to that amount. Well, I am one of the people that have Anthem Blue Cross, and I also just received a letter saying that that as of July 1st, uh, the bills are going to go up to uh, 28% more. They're not going to allow you to pay with credit card, and a lot of the services have been cut. So what is the heck? is going on here. It's like it's like the healthcare industry is similar to the banking industry. They charge whatever they want. They have a strong influence on governmental politicians through lobbying. And then they just do whatever they want to do. Even if you've never had services, you're going to be paying for everyone. So, Heather, I know you always are doing research, and you are in yeah. the healthcare industry. So what's happening, well, exactly. and well, what can we know, do? With, uh, regarding the whole um, thing with healthcare reform and President Obama, it was one of the really big things coming into um, his presidency that people were really just outraged that with American, with, with all the health stuff going on in the healthcare industry, then the economy dropped. So for a long time, this was his platform. And then when people started losing jobs and houses, uh, people were upset that he was focusing more on health care. So the big health care reform sort of started taking a back, um, a back seat to everything going on. And I think what a lot of people don't fail to realize is it is a full circle. Um, that there are, you know, as, as of right now, I mean, of course, it's, there's, there still is flaws at the same time. Um, to make people to have, to have health care can be very beneficial because currently in America, um, 63%, and I'm one of those people included, are receiving their uh, health care through their work, meaning they are either have full coverage or that they're paying um, maybe just a slight, a, slight, a slight minimum to what it would be. Then there's another 16% um, that fall in the 200% below poverty level, so they're able to get state funding insurances such as Medi-Cal, Medicaid, um, then there's another amount of people that uh, about 20% of Americans that are uninsured and come 2014, that's uh, technically going to be illegal. 
And then that leaves um, one of, unfortunately, you and that 5 to 7% that have to independently get um, their own insurance. And for some people, that means they're high, paying higher premiums. That means that you have to, if you work for a company that has less than 20 employees, you're self-employed, um, you make, you know, too, too much or too little on certain levels. And the hard thing is those crazy premiums, and, and of course, with insurances now, um, how you're saying they're not going to be taking credit card anymore, or, or they're raising the, the nickels and dimes of things, how they're going from $38 to $60. And over time, things just keep escalating to get bigger and bigger. And one thing that was with the health care reform that, that uh, was, who's to say what's going to happen now, but a previous thing that they had discussed was, there's going to be a big monopoly for so because if everyone is forced to have insurance, there's going to be so many insurances out there. If you see, it feels like every other commercial is either for an insurance or for some kind of medicine uh, that you're going to need to go through your insurance to get. And um, with that being said, as of right now, a lot of people are paying all this money for insurance that supposedly covers this or that. And some people feel, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to ever need you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm not planning on ever having a pregnancy. I don't need to worry about maternity coverage. So they're going to be offering plans that will let people kind of pick and choose things. Unfortunately, with that is some things are unexpected. Some people um, plan on not getting something, and unfortunately, then they do. And there's a lot of that fine print and that jargon that a lot of people don't understand. Um, just bringing on the, on the topic of maternity, someone who is uninsured and doesn't have uh, private health insurance, giving birth is about a $22,000 procedure. Um, and that's, you know, something out of pocket. But right from the get-go, speaking about children being expensive. Um, so so much of what you were saying about how they're adding these rates and, and people are finding it really difficult to hold on to their health insurance. Um, it's just further um, growing our health problems in America of why and you know, in other countries, um, though it's frowned upon because right now in America, one, the, one of the things we hate are taxes. Um, but for France, and for example, they, they give nearly 50% of their taxes um, to the government. However, they have universal health care, so they can get a heart transplant at no cost to them. So um, one thing here in America, I mean, every other ad, as I said, is for something to cure, and we're all in this big health care, this health uh, kick, it appears, but uh, I think I saw a recent thing saying that it's either 53 or 63% of Americans are obese or overweight. And that just goes even more into the diet uh, to, uh, to children and the diabetes rates. And that's why, I mean, our health care is so important and we're not starting at an earlier age. We're not doing all the preventative care, which part of um, this whole Obama plan is that preventative care can no longer be something to charge for. So, for example, there's a big movement regarding uh, birth control, because that is a preventative measure, or uh, vaccines, um, screenings, all this stuff that if uh, something does come to be, that their preventative care was covered. So it's not stopping people um, from, from uh, people have the ability now to be healthy if they start at an early age of doing this preventative thing. So, the, so that um, means that people can go in now with the new insurance and they can get their mammograms and pap smears and, and uh, well care, baby well care and all of that? Yeah, and that's, that's definitely, I think, a big thing people need to look into, and especially with women, of how we used to call things pap, and now we call them a well woman exam. They make well men exam and well children exam. This whole thing about wellness. And you've really seen in the last couple of years all these insurance companies kind of really changing um, the, changing their view of just being a provider, of being this whole thing of the whole picture, of the wholeness of wellness. Kaiser, for example, their, their slogan is live well. Um, and encouraging that not everything can be cured or fixed or eased um, via an office visit or in a pill. That's why it's saying, you know, uh, get endorphins, go out and exercise, be with family, socialize. There's, there's a lot more holistic approaches um, being put into things now. And um, it's, it's something, too, I mean, I know, I know you were facing this recently with um, your current insurance provider. Um, I don't know particularly what your situation, but a lot of times what's happening now is people who have had certain providers, it's, they've been at one cost for a while, and now due to various reasons, things are going up. 
And um, there's that fear that, you know, if they, if they drop their insurance, you know, what, what's to come now or if they're going back out on the free market and having to get more expensive insurance or, um, you know, if there was a pre, pre-existing condition that your original insurance, um, it, if it wasn't pre-existing before and so your original insurance covered it, but now if you're, you're leaning out into a new insurance, something you had previously before would, um, could cause you to cause, have more expensive insurance or even get denied from it. So um, coming out into the free market now, it's really looking into what is available. Um, I, think it, I think there's a potential for, to get better for people because there's so much more people competing to have you as an insurer. Um, well, and the other then, thing is most of the insurance companies don't really know what the costs are going to be yet. Once in a, if you call into the different companies, hopefully you'll get a good, um, you know, informed person. But what I was even told when I called the in- different insurance company was that mm-hmm. it's better to find an agent who specializes in health insurance and have them go over the plans because they're taking all these classes, etc. But what I wanted to encourage people to do, if you are with Anthem Blue Cross and you're one of these that like to pay by credit card and um, to and other insurance are doing the same, is to make sure to boycott or to contact them or to file a complaint because as of July 1st, you will no longer be able to do that. And the only way you'll be able to pay is by debiting it from your bank account or uh, um, you know a monthly check, which I just think is Crazy, and especially. Did, did they give any rhyme or reason to why they yes, moved they away? Yes, they said it was them? getting. They said it was just too expensive. That it cost them as a company about a million dollars a year to process. And of course, my set thing was is oh, and I, when I tried to pay my bill by credit card, they charge a convenience fee as if it's convenient for me. I don't know who it's <laughs> convenient for, of uh, fifteen dollars just to talk to somebody to process a credit card. This one time, your question. <laughs> yeah. Just for this one time, and then as of July 1st, there'll be no more processing. But they said they're getting a lot of people that are angry about it. And my thought is, is what, what I was also told, and, you know, again, it's just people talking, is that the people that have the independent, the individual insurance, as I do, for example, we're actually having to foot the bill for all the people who don't have insurance or who are on lessons expensive. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've had no claims at all, and it's just out, out, the, out the door. So what are people going to do if they can't afford insurance? So instead of it being affordable, it, it just feels like it is really, really expensive. So I'm not sure what the answer is, but at least we are, are uh, we have to remember what Churchill said. If you're going through hell, just keep on going. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we are going through that insurance hell right now. Heather, go ahead and give out the websites. Most definitely. We want you to check out BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.com, as well as ComedyClutches.com, both with a K. Well, and when we come back from break, we are going to talk about everything egg sighting. So everything you ever wanted to know about eggs from the chicken lady. So don't go away. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Do you need a little speaker power? Well, if you or someone in your organization is an expert in any particular topic, it pays to offer speaking services. According to statistics, speaking is ranked as the number one fear in life. In other words, people would rather die than get up in front of an audience to speak. However, this power of the spoken word can change a life and can also add dollars to your bottom line through products and services that you may offer. Get some on-camera training, formulate a presentation, and practice, practice, practice. Begin by speaking to service organizations who are always looking for timely topics Then grow to getting paid for engagements. To reap the rewards, the key is focus. What kind of speeches do people want to hear? 
topics are really lumped into three main categories. One is called a hard skill. People want to reinvent themselves. They want to learn a new trade or a business, help the audience find a new career or a new direction, or to buy a new product that will help them accomplish this goal. The second skill is called a soft skill. Teach how to communicate, to relate, to get in touch with others, the environment, spirituality, their health. And the third is informative. No skill transference in this presentation. This type of speech is purely information, entertainment, comedy, history, or commentary. So once you discover what people want, you can deliver it by finding organizations and businesses that are craving your message. Motivate others to action. Take the podium and speak. Well, remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. And when you need help creating your speeches or presentations, or if you're looking for a speaker, I am a speaker. I am here to help you. Call 877-944-STAR or visit starstyle.us to schedule your personal session. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org Be the lucky star You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, thank you for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Well, ever since I co-authored and became the spokesperson for the New York Times best-selling book, Chicken Soup for the Gardener Soul, my family has joked that I went from the chicken poop to the chicken coop to the chicken soup. Well, the fact is I am still shoveling chicken poop, and I'm proud of it. I have my little clan of hens and roosters, and I have a little... uh, I guess you call it a cottage industry of customers who come to the Star Style Studios and pick up their supply of organic, fresh, free-range, omega-3 eggs every single week. Well, General Robert E. Lee traveled with his pet chicken, and although she was originally meant for a stew pot, his hen won his heart when she entered his tent every single morning, laying an egg under his cot for his first meal. And even while Lee was retreating during the Civil War in battle, his staff would always stow that chicken safely in Lee's personal belongings because the hen had become an attachment. So I know this because chickens have been part of my life for as long as I can remember. In fact, in high school, my nickname was the Chicken Lady or the Egg Queen because I had raised chickens as a means of funding my future college education. Now, that's not exactly the title that most teenagers wanted, but I appreciated it because I had a faithful fan club. In fact, grammar school kids and junior high school kids would come to the games where I was uh, cheerleading, and they called me Slick Chick, and so they would yell, Go, Slick Chick, go! I took it as a compliment, although they were probably referring to the mascot, which was Freddie Falcon, that was actually a chicken that I rescued. Uh, One day I had arrived to find a white leghorn hanging from the gymnasium uh, ceiling, courtesy of our rival high school, and their sign read, Falcons are chickens. Well, I quickly asked the janitor for a ladder. I climbed to the top, I cut the rope, and I found the chicken barely alive. But it was still breathing, and that happy hen was nursed lovingly back to health and became our grateful mascot, complete with a mini cheerleading outfit and a banner read, Freddie Falcon rules the roost. So 
Freddie was my personal pal, providing me with my breakfast egg and my friendly companionship until I graduated. The, the writer, Anna Sewell, who um, is from 1820, she died in 1878, was quoted as saying, We can call them dumb animals, for they can't tell us how they feel, but they don't suffer any less because they don't have any words. Well, my chickens were never dumb or speechless. They were my friends, my confidence, and they talked to me all the time. And whenever I needed that listening ear, I just would go to the chicken coop. And I actually still do. Uh, oh, and speaking of a listening ear, did you know that you can tell the color of uh, the egg that a hen will lay by looking at her earlobes? For example, the Rhode Islands have... They they lay big kind of red-brown eggs, and they have these reddish-brown ears, where the Aracana has blue ears and lays blue eggs. So I had um, all of these kinds of hens, including New Hampshire reds, and they have a lighter brown egg. And finally, when I was really a promising poultry producer, the prolific hens were the South Carolina white leghorns that lay these perfectly white, perfect eggs, Every day. I mean, it's like they can lay 360 eggs a year. So cleaning the barnyard and composting the manure to be used in the garden was my therapy then, and it still is today. And I am still proud to be called the chicken lady because I am who and where I am today uh, because of these chickens. I wouldn't have been able to go to college because I saved my 30, 40, 50 cents from my uh, dozens that I sold. Now I sell them for $6 a dozen. It was 30 40 50 cents, small, medium, and large then. And I've always raised chickens except for a couple of years uh, when I lived in Europe and when I was in a, in a dorm. And actually when I was a senior at Cal Berkeley, I had a small cottage in Alameda, which was geographically situated just perfectly between the campus and my job for working for the airlines at the Oakland airport. And the rental agreement didn't allow dogs or cats, but I was allowed to have my three chickens, my couple of finches, and a rabbit. So my tiny backyard was only 20 by 20, but those chickens kept the garden free of insects, improved the soil with their nitrogen-rich fertilizer, and, of course, they supplied me with my main food staple, uh, which was the egg that went with my vegetables from my small plot. Now, my husband always jokes that he didn't read the, the small print when he got married because you can take the girl off the farm, but you can never get the farm out of the girl. So the chickens are in my genes, and we I still am raising them. So what do you need to know about chickens? And although you probably aren't going to have a chicken on a leash, They make a great outdoor pet because they're quiet, they're easy to care for, they take little space, they're inexpensive to feed and shelter. They offer fertilizer for the garden, eggs for the table, and they provide lots of hours of interesting bird watching. And ever since Martha Stewart showcased her designer chickens in her magazines and television show, people around the country have been discovering the joys of urban hen husbandry. But can they be kept legally within the city limits, you're probably asking yourself right now. You're saying, hey, I'm not a farm girl. Uh, You know, how can I have a chicken? Well, absolutely. But before founding your flock, you want to check with your neighbors and the city ordinances. But even big cities like New York and San Francisco allow a few chickens per household. In fact, until 50 years ago, it was common practice for households everywhere to have a few chickens. You know, there used to be that saying, a chicken in every pot. Well, I don't eat my chickens. I just eat the eggs. But as our country became more technologically advanced, uh, backyards became smaller and more people moved to the cities or suburbs while they forgot how to be self-sufficient. Now, chicken ranching became a giant agribusiness. And the family flock of hens has disappeared from the backyard. And now baby boomers and their offspring are probably pretty convinced that commercially produced eggs purchased in that little cardboard box at the supermarket are the best. But that isn't, that really isn't true. Uh, the best eggs, the eggs are not created equals. And it's really important that you know there, know that some eggs are healthier than others. And it's all about what the hens are fed. So the commercial eggs that you're buying, they are probably just eating corn and soybean meal. And then that isn't that healthy. 
and uh, you don't know what's in the corn. The chicken's most natural diet is like what my chickens get. It's a blend of grains and whatever they find foraging in the pasture. The tastiest and healthiest and most humanely produced eggs are coming from your local little backyard farmers or some of your farmer's market or, you know, your local egg lady. I know that the mayor of the town where I lived was buying some eggs at a farmer's market, and she asked the farmer's market how many hens they had. And she came up to me and she said, Cynthia, how many hens do you think that the farmer's market person had? I said, oh, maybe a 100 hens because, I mean, it's supposed to be a farmer's market, and you're supposed to have, like, locally grown small. It was a 100,000. So nobody can tell me that somebody that has a 100,000 hens is able to let them forage because there are wild critters out there. The raccoons, the coyotes, the mountain lions, the skunks, you know, the they are all after your chickens. So you want to be careful when you're buying your eggs. And even in supermarkets, there are plenty of choices that you can make from the nutritional breakdowns. You want to make sure that you are getting the best of everything. Now, the average calorie intake in one egg, a 50-gram egg, um, is 70 calories. And the fat is usually about 35 um, calories, I mean, 35 fat calories from fat. Now, the egg whites contain more than half the egg's total protein, niacin, magnesium, riboflavin, sodium, and potassium. And nearly all of eggs, fat, and cholesterol lie in its yolk. But here's where the eggs have gotten the bad rap. That's also where it's calcium, it's zinc, it's vitamin A, it's D, and the richly colored yolk confirms the presence of Gluten and high concentration of fat-soluble vitamins and the omega-3. So you want to be careful when you are, when you are looking to buy eggs because you want to make sure that you are getting the best, you know, the best eggs. And again, the, the best thing that you can possibly do would be to find eggs from somebody who is growing them in their backyard. I know I recently had a call from someone in Los Angeles who was building a chicken coop. And yes, you can have your chickens in Los Angeles. So that is kind of a fun thing to know that you can have a couple of hens and you would be able to have your perfectly beautiful fresh eggs. So, you know, I was the poultry leader for 4-H for many years. And as part of uh, the community outreach program, my kids and I participated in a petting zoo and an animal parade with the 4-H club, and I had asked our members um, of the poultry division to bring their favorite birds. So we had Winandos and Plymouth Rocks and Astrolop and Delawares and Cochins and Brahmas and Buff Orpingtons and, and Connas and Araconas and Polish and a variety of Banties and Ducks and Turkeys and Geese. And by the way, all of these birds are called poultry. Well, the visitors, both young and old, were enthralled as they pet and they held and they fed and they talked to the poultry. But amidst a cacophony of the happy clucking, Theracana laid a blue egg. You know, a very well-dressed middle-aged woman screamed, What is that? Well, it's an egg, replied one of our 12-year-old 4-H'ers. Well, what do you do with it? Another responded, Well, you eat it, of course, she said. To which, which the lady said, but it doesn't come from the store. I mean, I couldn't even believe it that it was true that people actually believe that eggs that aren't in cartons are inedible and that the color of the egg that elicited that, you know, ignorant kind of response. I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen uh, blue eggs. There is a book for urban flock masters that caught my attention. It's called Keep Chickens by Barbara Kalansky, and uh, she lives in Portland, Oregon. She's um, a self-proclaimed city chick, and she uh, writes about her newfound passion of raising the girls, and as her three hands were called, and she just had a postage stamp backyard in um, one of Oregon's biggest city, and everything you needed to know to raise the healthy chickens in a city space while enjoying the bounty and the peep show are within those pages. So I even, even though I've been raising chickens forever, I found that book really, really helpful. It's called Keep Chickens. So taking, um, talking to chickens really is 
of fun stuff. I've had neighbors that have their children and they're just so happy that I had chickens so that they would be able to come in and uh, take care of them. And it's always great to be able to help people, you know, get to know a little bit of the farm part. I had uh, people who found a chicken raising, you know, when they just went to the feed store and they bought a couple of chicks. But unfortunately, people also give chickens to kids that are in kindergarten. They give them for Easter. And that's not a good thing to do. Most um, My chickens are all adopted or they were raised by their mother. And so it, you don't want to give somebody a pet without asking them first. It, it can be really, really um, a bad idea because when they start getting big, people don't want them. Now, can you get fresh eggs without a rooster? This is a question I'm often asked, and the answer is yes, yes, yes. And even without human interaction, chickens just do what chickens do, and they've been doing since the beginning time. They lay eggs with or without a rooster. The eggs won't be fertilized without a rooster uh, for very for obvious reasons, but maybe that is why the chicken crossed the road. How do we know? She had to go lay an egg, or maybe she was just going to see the rooster. So among California's top 20 commodities, the chicken industry ranks 12th. And the chicken poultry industry, which does include the turkeys and chickens and lay eggers, produced products of more than a billion dollars uh, last year. So it is a big business. But with uh, proper care, you can have a couple of, of birds in your backyard that they will not be disease prone, they'll be hardy, they'll be healthy, and they will be really great pets. So just think, you could be dubbed the chicken lady or the chicken man of your neighborhood, and chickens do rule the roost. They cackle, cackle, and they cluck, cluck, but most of all, they give you just a a really, really great uh, breakfast. And if you can always have a have eggs around, you can always make a meal. So so uh, when you're thinking about getting a chicken, think about your background, your backyard bounty, that you would like to have a free roaming fowl with all the access to the food, water, and the clean air, and the worms, and with all the rain we've been having this year, you should have just the greatest, best eggs ever that are going to make you feel good. So the next time you go to buy eggs, don't think that they are not a good food. They are probably one of the best foods you could possibly eat. And in fact, according to a a recent article that I read in Spirit um, Magazine, that you could actually live on eggs, and it is one of the best foods ever. All right, so when we come back from break, We are going to go into the fields of New York, and we're going to be talking with Elliot Tiber, who wrote two fascinating books that you will have a great time hearing about. One is Taking Woodstock, which is about the Woodstock concert of August 15th. 1969 that made headlines with all those great groups music groups and also he wrote the book palm trees on the hudson so we'll be talking with elliot in just a minute it is sex drugs and rock and roll coming right up i am cynthia bryan and this is star style be the star you are we'll be right back don't you go away we are gonna rock it What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. BeTheStarYouAre.org 
Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thank you for staying with me here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are on World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk and listen. I am Cynthia Bryan. Well, if you thought 1967 was the summer of love, I would have to say that probably 1969 is what put the whole cycle on the map with the huge Woodstock concert in New York. And Elliot Tiber is one of the people that was behind it. He has written a very interesting and funny book called Taking Woodstock, and he was there to make it happen. He's also the author of Palm Trees on the Hudson, that is the prequel to that bestseller. And we're going to be talking to him about some of his exciting moments and his desperation through it all. Welcome, Elliot, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you very much. Your enthusiasm is very infectious. It's 105 <laughs> degrees here in New York. Oh, you know, I just can't get over the, how the weather, how crazy it is right now. I'm thinking about that. On August 15, 1969, you had rain, right? So people were like slopping in the mud on the farm, et cetera. I mean, here, here in California, we're only like in the 50s now. We've had rain for weeks. So in New York, you've got this 105. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was such a, uh, well, we're going to start with uh, taking Woodstock because it's an iconic moment in history. The rock bands that came out of that uh, were, you know, are some of, in fact, are, are still extraordinarily famous. And our kids today love them as much as we loved them then. But it, getting back to you, you grew up in this crazy household. Um, I, when I was reading about your your mom coming, what does she have? Fifteen brothers and sisters escaped from from Tsarist uh, Russia. Only three of them got on the boat, and your dad also was uh, escaping from there. Um, I, I was thinking, how did you even survive it? You must have even wanted to go think, hey, let's go back there. She was a, really a tough. She was more like the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes, she was. She wasn't wicked. It's just she was so desperate and went through such uh, hell losing her family that she uh, was just desperate to survive. She came to America on a boat with nothing and worked in uh, sweatshops seven days a week and so forth. But um, meantime, I had to pay the price for it, and so did I. I had three sisters, and we had a crazy household. Uh, she was domineering and uh, wild and um, uh, nasty to me. Um, so she wasn't uh, uh, really a nice uh, lady and, um, in those terms. In the film, uh, Ang Lee, by the way, who was uh, Oscar winner for Brokeback Mountain, directed the movie version uh, based on my book. And uh, it's two and a half years. It's still playing all over the world and on TV every day on Cinemax and downloading in, in 50 languages. It's just amazing to me because uh, when we did Woodstock, we had three days of peace, love, and music and a lot of rain and mud. And we didn't think anybody would remember it, you know, a week later. But here it is, what, 42 years later, and uh, and uh, the world still remembers it. 
Well, what I think is so fascinating about your book, first of all, you are such a wonderful storyteller, and you're just filled with humor, and of course, you know, you you are a comedy writer and an artist, an incredible artist, but I found it so sad that your, <laughs> that your mom never believed in you. She put you down all the time, but the great thing was is that you just kept going, and, and your dad was supportive in his kind of quiet, uh, quiet way, but I imagine that's where you probably got a lot of your humor is from the pain that you endured at home and you were able to see kind of the bright side or decided you were going to get away from it. And you, you know, you fled Brooklyn, you got into New York, you became uh, of quite a celebrated um, interior decorator there. And then your family decided to move up to this uh, this little place not far from the Catskills to open the motel. No, in that the you Catskills. Are in the Catskills, yeah, okay. In Bethel in White Lake, where the festival happened, right in the middle of it. So, uh, the, so Bethel, this, your friend Max, who would come to your, you would put on plays and different, you know, different little arts thing where you said a half a dozen people would come. But he was one of your big supporters. So let's go to that time when you had this brainstorm, you had this troop of people that you were practicing to play, and then the organizers of Woodstock couldn't, um, couldn't get the permit. But you were mayor, you were mayor up there, and you had a permit to put on an, um, an event, a fest, a music festival. Well, for 10 years, I ran this broken down uh, hotel with my parents, and, uh, uh, we were bankrupt at that point. The bank was going to take it away in the summer of 69. And Woodstock was trying to put up a festival 25 miles south of us, and they lost their permit because the town even put it on the front page newspapers there, pictures of hippies and, uh, and a, rough, a redneck with a rifle pointed at, the, uh, at the, the bird icon that we had on the poster. And they didn't want hippies and drug addicts and homosexuals and dirty lesbians raping their cows on Main Street. I'm quoting. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. I didn't know about anything about raping cows. Right. That and, sounds that, that sounds pretty uh, severe. <laughs> yes, that's that town of uh, Wallkill. A good name for them, Kill. Anyway, so I had uh, for ten years issued myself a permit for a music festival, and I held it on my lawn, and then I had theater barn with thirty-three actors, and we were doing. That summer, uh, uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet uh, news. Nobody came to that except my neighbor, Max Jaska. He was my milkman. <laughs> and he brought milk and eggs and cheese and donated it to the actors because he really had nothing. And he paid his dollar to see the shows. Anyway, and I called up the Woodstock people, and I said, uh, they didn't know who I was, of course, and they said, what do you want? I said, I have a permit. You don't have one. And I have 15 acres, and you can use my property any way you want. The bank's going to take it away anyway. So within 15 minutes, they were there on my lawn in a helicopter, and we never saw a helicopter there. I made a white cross with linens for them to land. My mother, a religious Jewish nut, came And she out. died. Oh my, <laughs> oh, my God. This is what the Ku Klux Klan. What are you doing here with a cross? <laughs> So they landed, and I took them and their lawyers, and limo started to arrive and to show them the uh, land, and it was mostly swamp from the cesspools we had. We didn't have money for indoor plumbing. And so, of course, they couldn't hold it there, and they were ready to leave. I panicked, and I said, look, my permit, for $1, you could have the permit. And they saw it was legitimate. And they said, but we can't use this land. It's just impossible. I said, wait a minute, my milkman has it hundreds of acres just up the road with nothing but cows and he loves music so we drove up to the farm and they saw this beautiful natural amphitheater that is now world famous and um we made a deal with max he wanted 50 dollars a day for three days if we cleaned up he didn't know what he was saying exactly when i read that elliot i was like oh my gosh you know if if only you could see the future right (laughs) right and so uh, it was begun. Of course, the, the cost to Max uh, raised the rent to a couple hundred thousand when it was clear there were going to be a couple of hundred thousand people there. But the local uh, town rednecks who were hated me, they used to plant swastikas on my walls and faggot go home. Fortunately, my parents didn't know what the word faggot meant. And um, uh, so these were the kind of people around us, and they said, we're going to close you down unless you give us 100000 in cash. Well, I said to uh, Mike Lang, the producer, I said, what are we going to do? They're going to close us down, 
and they hired me at a lot of money, and they rented my hotel out uh, for a fortune in cash. Uh, they paid everything in cash from shopping bags. And my mother had put all the cash in mattresses and underneath the floorboards. I said, Mama, don't spend a dime. You have to give it all back. She says, give what back? I don't have anything. I don't know where it is. She wouldn't let go of a dime. <laughs> so, um, my, and all the radio and TV networks rented rooms. We had rooms with showers so that they rented it. They, he said, go into uh, NBC radio there, network radio, the power of radio, which you know. And tell the country what's going on. I said, I've never been on radio. I'm very shy. So I went on the radio. I introduced myself. And I said, look, we would like to have three days of peace, love, and music. But the local Nazis are going to shut us down. So if you want to have this festival, please. This was Tuesday uh, uh, morning. And the festival was supposed to be Friday. I said, please don't wait. Come on out now. Because uh, otherwise there's no festival. And then I added in, I was stoned. We were all stoned, so I didn't know what I was saying. I said, if you don't have tickets, it's okay. It's all free. The music is free. Come on out. Well, uh, three in the morning, <coughs> the two-lane road that led into Bethel was now five, line, five lanes of white headlights with school buses and motorcycles and horses and skateboards, you name it. People were uh, coming in. They heard free. And um, within 24 hours, there were one million people there and on the road. Governor Rockefeller closed down the New York State Thruway all the way from New York City to Canada, uh, a couple of hundred miles. It was one big parking lot. And um, by Wednesday, for us, the festival began. The local Nazis couldn't do anything about it. So in Canada, me, we had a million people, and we had the festival. That, you know, it just, and it's just such an incredible moment because you had, you know, uh, Jefferson Airplane and Richie Havens and all these fabulous, fabulous, Shally, Shally um, Rankar, all these wonderful groups. Did you get to hear any of it? Because you were running back and forth trying to organize everything and you slept, what, 30 hours the next day after it was over? That was after, yeah. No, I couldn't leave my grounds because uh, we set up my place, my 15 acres, as a triage because kids were walking on broken glass. They had bad, there was a lot of bad acid being given out. And so they were having bad trips. And I got volunteer nurses and doctors from the Army. They flew them in the helicopters and set up my pine, pine trees there uh, with hammocks for people to uh, R&R, you know, rest. And um, so I couldn't leave, but uh, we have a five-mile uh, lake there. And it acted as, uh, 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 what do you call it, the music bounced off the lake. So when Friday, Richie Havens was the first one, and he sang Freedom. I heard it like I'm speaking to you. That's how close right it was. Right now. Wow. And it was just amazing that that song Freedom, which he improved, he made up because he wasn't even ready. He was supposed to go on the fifth act, but he was the right. only one with the guitar, and so, and they couldn't even get the acts there with the helicopters, so they said, Richard, you go on, and he went on. Instead of for 20 minutes, he went on two and a half hours, and that wonderful song Freedom, which became our sort of national anthem. Anthem. And well, so it, that's how I, I didn't get to the concert out of all those people, but I heard it. But you were so part of the whole thing, and of course the rest is history, and Elliot Tiber's book on that is Taking Woodstock, and you definitely are going to want to pick up a copy of it and see the movie, Ang Lee's movie, because it is so amazing, and you know, you, you're still listening to some of those uh, of the groups, the Country Joe and our little Grothrie and, you know, and uh, the Who. Even, most of them were not even known. They weren't famous. The, the no, they weren't famous, famous then, but... But that's Joe what Parker made him famous. Was totally unknown. Santana was a little known, made their big thing. Richie Havens was a little known. Janis Joplin was known. And I got to meet these people. They stayed at my place. And um, it was just uh, amazing to mess around with Janis Joplin and, uh, and uh, Santana and Jimi and Hendrix. I became friends with him. It was just, it was an amazing uh, time that. Um, it's just too bad it doesn't happen again. I think today kids are listening to hip-hop and rap. And it's kill, different. Kill, kill and taking crack cocaine. We only had marijuana 
Yeah, and and LSD probably. Well, again, that is called that book is called Taking Woodstock. And before we run out of time, I just want to at least touch on Palm Trees on the Hudson because that's the prequel. That's the prequel. Oh, and it's it's the prequel. It's everything that led up to the week before Woodstock happened about growing up in Brooklyn and uh, decorating and Tennessee Williams and all these Marlon Brando, all these people. Truman Capote. I got famous. Yeah. Yes, and and I still cannot get over what happened on the on the boat and that whole thing that when you put on that incredible incredible party and the and how how you became such a famous decorator for so many people. So how did your life change after uh, after you know after that experiment? Then you went um to the Woodstock. So basically. And you got to meet your idol, Judy Garland. Yeah, the week, the year before, in 68, I was a decorator, and I was working for the Jewish mob. I didn't know it. I didn't know they were the mob. They don't announce it. And I was decorating the Hudson River Day Line, which is a famous cruise line on the Hudson River, and 500 guests at a birthday party for this mafia guy. And uh, their guests, uh, besides the mayor, Lindsay, was Judy Garland. And I had grown up... From, with Wizard of Oz, of Oz and Judy Garland at records my whole life. She really became an icon for the gay community and everyone else, too, but because of uh, her kind of life and struggle with drugs and marrying gay men and so forth. Anyway, and so Judy was coming coming to this party, and I decorated the ship with uh, ice sculptures of her and the munchkins and palm trees, hundreds of palm trees, and uh, boys painted uh, in their bodies in oh. gold serving drinks. And then Judy came, uh, her car came up, the last one, a limo, and everyone ran to the side of the boat screaming and looking at Judy, and the boat almost sank right at the pier. And we finally sailed down the, down the Hudson, and the people were all drunk, and um, um, the drunks decided, as we circled the Statue of Liberty, they decided to toss all the palm trees in the water. Now, these were rented on my credit card. So that's why it's, it's uh, palm trees on the Hudson. And then I got, uh, I took Judy to protect her from all of this mob into her cabin. We got to be friendly, spent some time, and uh, it was just amazing to meet this icon of a lady, such an incredible lady. It was, we didn't know she would die a year later, of course, but she was only 47. Well, but, uh, and then. What a talent. And, what a, and the night that she died, you happened to be in the, the gay bar where it really opened it all up for Stone the gay movement. movement. The stone wall. I went into the uh, into uh, to the city for a little R and R from uh, all the work up at the hotel and on uh, the stone. There were only two bars in the village then. It wasn't even the word gay, and uh, the stone wall was one of them. So I went there with some friends and. Uh, uh, the police used to come to the bar all the time and to get cash payouts. It was uh, the mafia, of course, and uh, we didn't know that, but cash payouts. And they would hassle us as if you left the bar alone. They would beat you up, take your wallet, and it was just awful. I always left with friends. I never would walk alone in the village there with that. And then that one, that particular night, there was something in the air. I don't know what. And uh, uh, I hollered, hey, this is a, that's enough. Let's bar the doors, not let them in to bother us. So we put bars across the door. Someone hollered gay power, which never existed. We didn't know what that meant. And everybody is screaming, let's do something. And I said, okay, we open the doors. Me and five friends of big bears, they called us bears in those days, meaning big and fat. We ran out and overturned the police car and demanded the mayor come. And uh, within an hour or so, there were thousands of people there in the village surrounding the bar, including Allen Ginsberg, the famous poet who uh, lived there, and Jack Kerouac, who lived there, and um, fighting for, we're not going to let this happen to us anymore. And that was the beginning of the gay revolution. Well, Elliot, you are so fascinating. We are at the end of our time, and it's been such a pleasure. Let's give out websites so people can get your books, Taking Woodstock, Palm Trees on the Hudson, and you have to just look him up. He's just so fascinating. The books are on on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere, and it's very funny reading, and uh, I think people will uh, really enjoy it. You just have a wonderful sense of humor and the, just a way a way of writing that is so engaging. I want to thank I you. I look like Brad Pitt. I'm very handsome. 
You are very handsome, and you always thought you were a fat kid. You were adorable. I think I you're just, just darling. I look like Brad Pitt. Yeah, a good thing it's on the radio, not TV. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, well, you know what? That keeps the mystery alive. Well, thank yes. you, Elliot Tiber. His books, again, Palm Trees on the Hudson, Taking Woodstock. I will thank be with you. So you. Thank you, Elliot. I am Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Go out in the world. Be the star you are. And celebrate the way you were born to be. All right. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Elliot. Pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for being part of our star galaxy on today's episode of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We hope you've enjoyed the commentary and are motivated to dream big, overcome obstacles, and realize your potential. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. Join our power party next week right here on World Talk Radio as Cynthia Bryan, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers of the planet pump up the energy with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until then... Be the star you are. You.